0: of the social review podcast i'm your host jasper at jasper underscore ch on twitter and today uh, i am joined by uh,
1: richie floyd i'm a uh, democratic socialist of america organizer in florida and a dream defenders member uh, You can find me at twitter at, at richie j floyd
0: richie thank you so much for coming on to the podcast um as i said to you before we started recording this um we pretty much exclusively uk based in terms of writing and podcasting we very rarely if ever speak to anyone from america um so uh enormously delighted and enormously grateful that you've come on um to talk to us um today um particularly in relation to everything that's going on in america right now i'm sure i speak for everyone on the editorial team and our readers and listeners um in saying that it's incredibly distressing and worrying what's going on right now I suppose we'll kick off with that actually would you just be able to sort of give a sense of what what it's like being in what it's like living in the states right now
1: yeah so um, we've uh it's been interesting to say the least uh, it seems like it's what's on everyone's mind really uh, in a way that it hasn't been like as far as protests when it comes to uh, basically any any kind of protest we've had in the U.S. Uh, in my lifetime. Um, but it really is, like, at the forefront of sort of the conversation for everyone. Social media is lit ablaze. Uh, parents, grandparents are online debating. Um, and so uh, it's, it's really, like, the focal point of all of our thoughts um, right now. Even, like, coronavirus has taken a backseat to it as well. Uh, and it's really spread, like, like sort of like wildfire. Uh, basically, every town I'm aware of, like, of any decent size has had a local protest. I live in a medium large size city of about 250,000 residents. And we're just outside of Tampa, which is a much bigger city. And we've had protests in our city. Uh, We've had protests in Tampa, Uh, the protests in Tampa got wild, they uh, burned down a couple of businesses, they had to instill a curfew, the protests in our city in St. Petersburg, Florida haven't gotten as bad um, or as good, depending on your perspective, but they, uh, they, they have had some incidences where they come in contact with the police and, uh, the police have arrested some people. I had a friend get arrested last week or actually just a couple days ago. Um, and it seems to me like the perspective, at least if you're on Twitter and whatnot, is that the police seem to be instigating a lot of the trouble. Uh, so it's, it's been really, it's been really hard to see, uh, some of the videos and stuff online. I did have uh video from again my city they shared where people were just sitting peacefully in the street like yeah they might have been they weren't even really making that much noise they might have yelled at the police every once in a while there was out in front of the police station and then the police just like jump on a microphone and they're like you have two minutes to disperse and then within just a few seconds they start throwing uh flashbang grenades into the crowd and the crowd's running away and then they arrested multiple people they detained a journalist that night. Um, and so it's really like the main thing that everyone is focused on. And it does seem to be coming around. A lot of the, uh, liberals, um, have started to point to things like anti-racism. They've started to get, uh, more sympathetic to people saying like defund police departments. And that used to never be the case. It used to be, uh, Liberals were just scared, wanted more police. And it seems like the conversation changing very quickly here.
0: Have, have you, have you been to any of the protests yourself? Have you been involved at all or, um, not as, not as such?
1: Yeah. So, uh, my wife and I did attend a protest, uh, briefly. The biggest one that we had, I think it was this past Saturday. Um, that was like the, one of the biggest days so far, although I hear in other cities, it has been bigger, um. But yeah, we just went to one briefly, but they're ongoing right now. I think in our city, it starts at 2 p.m. in front of city hall. And uh, then at, at some point they march to the police station and uh, it's going on basically from like 2 p.m. to 2 a.m. every single day. So um, we're uh, we've been part of talks of planning ones that are in the future. Cause right now the ones in our city aren't even planned. It's just everyday people are meeting at city hall. So we've uh, been in talks of planning one with other local groups. Um, I think I've heard like the NAACP is trying to get involved. We have uh, some uh, black and indigenous people of color mo- groups that are trying to get involved in planning protests for this coming weekend that we're hoping to help organize and will be uh, probably in attendance for those. But, yeah, so far, we've just briefly attended protests
0: protest. Mm. and um and and with the protests um next to coronavirus here in the u k it is probably the biggest news story I think um the entire country is is really watching what's going on and talking about what's going on as well that you know everyone's social media feed is dominated with the the same kind of discussions that you mentioned sometimes in um crazy ways i mean so many friends of mine who would never have shared anything political um anything to do with racism anything on the subject whatsoever are now sharing um articles and resources about recognizing and deconstructing white privilege i mean it's 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 crazy and it's all over the news as well and i mean the uk always watches what the us does with a sort of deep fascination and also a deep sense of um consternation as well Uh, this the the sort of sense from from our side of things is that this is this is just going to keep on going and particularly with trump in the white house and threatening to send in the military this doesn't seem like it has any kind of end in sight is is there a sense of an end in sight a sense of a oh this is it looks like you know maybe there's going to be some kind of uh legislation reached on curbing police violence um As you said greater understanding of anti-racism in more mainstream liberal politics or does it still seem very much like you're in the thick of it and this is going this is going to go on for the foreseeable future
1: yeah so um i can say pretty clearly from my perspective it doesn't seem like there's any solution in sight right now uh uh personally I just don't know what a solution under our current government and our current system even looks like Uh, the things that we're protesting right now are not things that are anything new. Uh, It's been going on since day one of our country's founding, like before that, uh, I mean, just the system in place as a whole is just corrupt. It treats uh, people of color immigrants just as second-class bit citizens, as denizens, really, of their own society, and uh, it's just, it's a huge structural problem that I don't anticipate changing anytime soon. They've already arrested the uh, murder of George Floyd and his accomplices that stood there and watched while he did it, and no one, I mean, people care, it is important, but no one has even suggested. Tampering down protests because of something simple like that we're beyond that uh someone my age i'm 28 like came of age uh in florida i lived in orlando when trayvon martin was killed and that really kicked off a lot of this um black lives matter movement um and like i was a a teenager then i was 18 19 maybe 20 um, and that was just like our first experience and then we've had to watch video after video of it and it's not going away until we basically create a new world and uh i know that the focal point of this has been on oh police violence and police injustice but i mean the roots of that are why are the police violent why are they why do they treat people the way that they do and i mean uh like in my opinion, it's it's capitalism like they have to protect private property by any means necessary when you have massive amounts of inequality in a country like the us does there's no way you can maintain that peaceably you have to use violence to maintain the sort of structural hierarchy we have in our society and i just don't know how right now it's going we're going to come to any sort of solution anytime soon under the current circumstances now I'm not saying that there won't be a solution, bar the revolution. But I, I do think that like it's going to be, uh, it's going to have to be something big to get this to calm down. I, I just don't know what's coming right now. And, and like I said, I mean we're already planning our protests for next week. We're already uh, like trying to uh, train people to organize protests in the future and uh, doing seminars on. Uh, abolishing the police and whatnot like so uh i think that uh, this could right now i don't see how it could end it could i think it's going to end up being a long-term sort of movement that we have going right now
0: yeah um and you mentioned abolishing the police there and, and police abolition and and defunding the police and sort of uh radically restructuring the way the police work the way that the state exercises that monopoly on legitimate violence to put it in um the terms of max weber um has been has been a focal point as you said so would you would you just be able to give a sort of rundown of that of that line of thinking of 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 what police abolition would entail if anything replaces it what 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 the whole thing is like because as we discussed just before we started recording the podcast um it's not anywhere near as much of a thing on the uk left with regards to sort of a national understanding and and of the national understanding of what socialism or social democracy entails it's definitely not really there in the uk so would you just be able to give a sort of discussion on that essentially
1: yeah so i uh i'll outline it like i could talk about it forever but i'll outline it uh sort of as succinctly as i can really in that Uh, In the U.S., so uh, to give some background to the listeners, I lived in the U.K. for about a year and a half. Um, I did a postgraduate degree at the University of York. Um, I went there specifically for that and then came back to Florida afterwards. And uh, it was interesting. Uh, The policing situation is much different in America than it is in the U.K. So in America, like, Basically, if you go out and about in public, you just come across the police. They're all over the place. Literally, like I live sort of near a business. Um, they're at the business all the time. Uh, and their sort of social function is, is massively expanded compared to the UK. I probably went a month in the UK like between sightings of police officers, if not more. But in the U S it's just not like that. If I drove from, uh, home to my place of work, uh, the school that I work at, it's 10 minutes away from my house. Like chances are I'm going to see a police officer on the way there. There's just, they're that prevalent. And they really, in the police departments really take up about, a, a, they, they, they take up a plurality, if not a majority of local budgets. And so. Uh, policing is just very prevalent in America. And so when we talk about police abolition, we talk about making that not the case anymore. And so we, uh, focus on things like, well, first you need to go figure out how to get from here to there. Uh, and with the way society is structured, you're not going to American society is structured. You're not going to just not have the police tomorrow. Um, the police, like you said, uh, have a monopoly on legitimate violence, and they uh, and that violence is necessary to maintain the inequality, the property, uh, the private property system that we have right now. And so, there's no way under our current system that we're going to abolish the police. But as a someone who's a police abolitionist, you look towards building a world where you no longer have to have that, where inequality isn't what it is now, where you don't have to have them out defending people's uh, private property constantly where people have, uh, good jobs and good health care and, uh, you attack crime at its roots. So that's the end goal is to create a society. Now from getting here to there, you obviously have to have steps. Um, and some of the immediate things we're calling on is to just defund the police department. Uh, you would think in America, like when you think of the police, you think, Oh, they help people who get robbed or, uh, they solve murders and cases, but the police don't. That's not what they spend most of their time doing. What they spend most of their time doing, uh, I guess, sort of in a succinct way is just going around looking for trouble. Uh, We have homelessness is heavily criminalized in America. We have the war on drugs. We have uh, uh, police harassing prostitutes. We have police harassing the mentally ill, especially in Florida. We have like, I think we're either the worst or the second worst state for mental health services funding in our country and uh you hear the meme like florida man well florida man is a result of a couple of things like one uh we have like very open laws where anybody who gets arrested like it's just publicly broadcast but two we don't have mental health service funding, so people who need help the only you can't get it from anywhere there's just there's no place to get help it just doesn't exist i honestly don't know what to do like i said i live sort of near a business district And we have uh, transients that come through from time to time. Uh, I live near a bus stop, near a public library. They walk up and down my street and we have massive drug problems. And a lot of times people will have actually overdosed on drugs as hard as heroin. And we'll be walking down the street and we'll fall out. And there's no one for me to call like someone who needs help. Like there's no social services. The only phone number that you can call is the police. And I can't tell you the number of times that the police come, uh, an ambulance comes to take care of them. So you call an ambulance because they've obviously had a drug overdose An ambulance comes to take care of them. And the ambulance determines, okay, they're bad, but they're, they don't need treatment. Um, and then they end up leaving in handcuffs because our society has just pushed the issue off to the police because we can't be bothered to deal with people who have addiction problems. And so what abolitionists, abolitionists are calling for now is to change that, like that's the low hanging fruit that I can give as a good example. There should be a social service that we call instead of calling the police. They get treatment, they have trained social workers come out and help them. Um, they don't have to get involved in getting an arrest record because they have a mental health issue or an addiction issue. Um, and the same thing goes for drug usage and, um, and prostitution. These things should not be criminal activity. They should be things that are treated as social issues that have social solutions instead of police solutions. So the end goal for police abolition is to create a world where crime is attacked at its roots, where society's ills are attacked in a positive, constructive way, and where policing is brought down to a bare minimum. And uh, so that's the end goal for abolition. But to get there, we really need to start taking things out of the police's hands, things that they have no business taking care of, uh, things that we really are asking too much of them when we push them off to them. And so, the sort of movement for defunding the police and pushing things that way is is our is our goal is our uh, sort of our our thinking to how we're going to get to the end goal.
0: Mm. It's yeah, it's really interesting to hear you to hear you talk about it because I I I completely um, agree with what you said at the beginning about how you can go a month in the uk without really seeing the police in some cases that's definitely it's definitely different in that sense but um and it but it was interesting it was interesting that the argument was about reframing um issues to social issues away from issues of law enforcement um and you know justice i say justice in quotation marks um is the ultimate vision and this links in with i guess the the democratic Socialists of america and and um the left contingent contingency within the democratic party i guess is is it then fair to say that the ultimate long-term goal is to sort of shift shift america and shift society away from that understanding of the state being legitimized through violence as we as we said there in that sort of weberian um definition away from the state being legitimized through violence and through um stern protection again protection in quotation marks um and more to being legitimized through well-being and welfare and social services and providing that providing that society um and and linking back onto that um what what do you think are some steps that america can be taking uh to get to that world um and that links with bernie sanders and um democratic politicians and all that sort of thing and we can talk about the next but yeah what are what are the next steps do you think to sort of realizing that and reshifting the paradigm as it were
1: so yeah i mean you touched on some of it in that like bernie sanders platform uh is helpful uh at this point honestly with the way that things feel it feels like bernie sanders is a bit too moderate for us now um but yeah, as far as like, uh, the democratic socialists of America, obviously our end goal is to create a better society. One, like you mentioned where the state is not seen as legitimate because it holds a monopoly on violence, but the state is seen as legitimate because the people give their democratic consent to the state to be governed by them. I mean, that's the end goal for sort of any like, uh, social democracy. Um, and so, uh. Yeah, the, the point is to create sort of a society that has uh, people who are happy to be part of it. Really, everyone's happy to be part of it. And yeah, some of the steps to get there are pretty simple, I uh, say simple, um, if they were simple, we'd do them right away. We have to have the class struggle though first. But um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind in America is, is fixing the healthcare system. Uh, I know, actually, I know uh, people in the UK understand for the most part how lucky they are to have the nhs uh like i said i did uh live in the uk for a while the nhs is a was an absolutely wonderful thing um i am married to a british uh woman and my uh since she's moved to america in the last year and a half uh, she spent more on healthcare than she did in her entire life and there's nothing wrong with her she just has gone to the doctor and to get like just basic care and it's expensive and it's unreasonable and our health insurance costs obscene amounts of money it's the biggest expense that everyone has outside of like uh housing and maybe transportation and so uh the first thing that comes to mind is health care many the fact that healthcare is tied to employment is just such an oppressive thing um especially at a time when the U S is looking at unemployment rates of 30%. Now we're talking about those 30% of people that lost their jobs, lost their health insurance as well. And, uh, health and healthcare without health insurance is, is a dream. Like you're not ever going to happen. It's not going to happen. You just can't afford it. Healthcare with health insurance is, is often completely unaffordable as well. And so the fact that, uh, some moderates within the, like moderate liberals would say, oh, we just need better health insurance or more health insurance. Like the Obamacare uh, model is just obscene as well. Like, uh, depending on your job, um, you can't, you just can't afford your health care, even if you have insurance. It's just too expensive. And so, uh, one of the first steps that America is going to have to take is to fix the health care system. Um, some of the other things, obviously, are the same things that uh, Bernie Sanders has advocated for in like raising the minimum wage, you know, the line is $15 an hour. In my opinion, That's way too low, but uh, it's obviously twice as good as what we have now. The 725 we have an hour now, it's just an absolute starvation wage. It's just poverty wages. Um, and we're going to have to uh, do the things, like I said uh, earlier with the police, we're going to have to sort of uh, sort them out, begin to sort them out immediately. Uh, to take down some of the violence, but beyond that, we're going to have to start uh, giving people democratic control over their lives. I mean, it comes back to the economic system that we live under. Uh, People don't have control. They spend all day in a workplace where they're basically an authoritarian workplace where their boss is, is the all knowing Lord of the land, like, and they can't have they don't have any say in their controls under their uh in their economic environment and the whole society is built around our economic system and how we maintain productivity. And so I mean the ultimate end goal is to get to get to um a, a, I guess a socialist society really for I mean democratic socialists, but um, how we get there really in America is like we've got to focus on healthcare. We need To defund the police, we need better wages. Uh, One thing that's really important that doesn't get talked about enough is to push for full employment. And uh, we've talked about federal jobs guarantees here. Uh, uh, Another thing that's coming up soon, uh, not soon, but recently, another thing that's come up is uh, housing as a right. uh, Complete, like, we shouldn't have people that sleep in the streets. We should have Housing as a basic right. Nobody should have to worry. Um, we're talking about decommodifying things that people need: power, internet, water, food, clothing. Um, these are the kind of things that we need to push for politically in order to get to the kind of society that we uh,
0: that we would hope for. Yeah, absolutely. And and much of what you said is a uh, you know incredible incredibly common with the UK left as well. You mentioned democratic control. A lot of what. A lot of conversations in the uk left um, the uk socialist movement is similarly about democratic control and we've um spoken to numerous people on this podcast and think tanks such as commonwealth for example which publish reports quite regularly on this sort of thing of of uh municipalizing and um, devolving democratic control to individuals and to communities and two regions um and i think it's quite an interesting vision of socialism for the 21st century of you know, the, the critique is always, oh, you just want a big government. And then, but the reality is it's, it's not necessarily that at all. It's just like, no, it's actually giving people more control over their everyday lives in economic terms and political terms, which, you know, I think pretty much everyone, pretty much everyone in the social view would definitely agree with. Um, and, and with regards to that change, um, inevitably electoral politics, uh, will play a factor because those things are legislative changes. Um, I'm guessing you're going to say he's not doing enough um but what is your sense of joe biden's response to 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 this um what more can joe biden be doing as the presumptive democratic nominee what can the democrats be doing
1: he's not doing enough is such an understatement for joe biden um really what could they be doing um so just for some clarification the democratic socialists of america have nothing to do with the democratic party uh it's i just want to make sure everybody knows that like we have we both have democrat in our name but we're the ones who actually care about democracy really is a thing um so let me clarify that before i'm about to just go in on the democratic party it's probably best from my perspective i mean other people might disagree it's probably best if they just don't say anything right now because they're basically the architects of mass incarceration with Joe Biden as like numero uno, like the person who did it. He's the sponsor of the crime bill in the nineties that literally exploded. Uh, I mean, it was already happening, but really helped explode mass incarceration and the policing that we see nowadays of, uh, black people and, and working class people as a whole. And so, uh, I mean, just the other day two days ago, maybe he literally said on tape, like suggested that police should shoot unarmed people in the leg instead of the heart. Like you really couldn't parody the democratic party better like, Oh, Republicans will shoot you in the chest, but Democrats will shoot you in the leg. Like that's insane. Like really there's not much they can say. I mean, the, the mayors and governors of a lot of the cities that have called the national guard and instituted curfews and had police in streets, like are democratic politicians. Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, was like one of the most progressive people who ran for president this past time. One of the only people, like one of the only like three people maybe that actually believed in universal healthcare and abolishing the private healthcare industry. And uh, one of the only people to endorse Bernie Sanders after he dropped out. And Bill de Blasio like will not do anything it seems like to take care of the NYPD. It seems like he really cannot be bothered to uh, confront them. And really it's, it's, it's like, it's, it can be hard for a democratic politician to take on the police in their, uh, in their city, but you know, you would expect a little bit more. So as far as what more could they be doing? I don't know that there is much more. I mean, obviously they need, to be on the side of the, uh, reformers. I mean, but reform is, is not even happened. I mean, we saw reform under the Obama administration, The department of justice suggested many different reforms for the police and the Minneapolis police department was one of the most reformed police departments in the country, completely run by Democrats, the city of Minneapolis, uh, in the state of Minnesota. And. Uh, and we saw where that got us. We saw that that got us brutal murders on videotape, and so uh, it really it's it's gotten beyond really what I think a sort of center right Democratic Party can help to hope to even offer us. Um, and I think that sort of public opinion is swaying, but right now I think we may still be in the early stages of like this this uh, sort of massive upwelling of the movement. And it's we're trying to a lot of organisers, like people who work as organisers, we're all trying to now sort of start attaching realistic uh, demands towards this. And I think we'll sort of see the Democrats catch up to what demands we start to put out about how we want to defund the police and how we want to restructure society.
0: Yeah. And that that Joe Biden quote you mentioned, reached the UK. And I, too, was shocked listening to it. It was sort of just a sort of insane insane thing to say as you said and and definitely i think um i mean it's it's one of the things that we in the uk as i'm sure you uh observed too when you were over here it's one of the things we just cannot fathom whatsoever the guns um and the total political reluctance and the tight grip control of the nra um and this idea that guns are somehow necessary—it's just—it's just totally different.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to mention the guns uh, topic real quickly. Like, uh, it's the culture we have here is is absolutely insane. Like, but I just want to give people like sort of my perspective on it in that, um, like the society that we live under is basically dominated by the politicians are dominated by capital and the gun companies in the same way like oil industry and the uh, fossil fuel industry exist, is that like they have a lot of money and they are willing to spend literally every penny of it in order to continue their existence, to ensure the continuation of their existence. And so that's sort of what our problem is here in the US. Like you're not like, I don't know exactly what the perspective is in the UK, but American citizens as a whole do not want the sort of gun culture that we have here. It's ha- It's like in survey after survey, they, it's clear that we want things to change but the government doesn't act because groups like the NRA which are backed by weapons manufacturers the weapons manufacturers know hey if we let them uh, take away our profit like we're not going to exist anymore and so they will literally spend all of their money to make sure that their existence is continued so I just hope people in the UK don't think that Americans are really as gun crazy as we so we think like we're sort of being held hostage here.
0: Yeah, thank you for the clarification because the surveys is something that I um I pick up on as well and it's it's sort of it it does definitely underscore the whole that sense of being held hostage, doesn't it? Something which I've been thinking about recently to I'm I'm a I'm a politics student so I've been revising for my history of political thought exams, which is why I brought up Weber, mentioned faber Um something I've been thinking about recently is is the, you know that that legitimacy of the state and how how you create change and how um in any kind of electoral society how a democratic society how how change comes through the legislature and how how the relationship between uh political organizations so political political organization within congress uh to take the american example or parliament in the uk um as well as uh extra political organization well extra congressional organization i suppose in terms of protests such as these how those two sides need to coexist and how they can balance and influence the other um but then i completely understand how much how frustrating it must be as well to be living in america where you have a two-party system such a fixed rigid two-party system or at least that's how it seems in the uk um and have one side be trump's republicans absolutely no no chance of voting for them whatsoever if you're any kind of progressive and then to look at joe biden saying oh just shoot them in the leg instead you and as you say be the architect of mass incarceration in the 1990s i was rereading some um ta quotes coats the other day um and uh i reread one of um that joe biden quote from uh 1994 i, I haven't got a tan i can't quite remember but it was definitely like the democrats the party of you know more police more prisons etc etc that leads on to on to the next point again of, of of how you chart out the future because getting legislative change is incredibly difficult with the republicans as they are now and with democrats still needing to go further in order to embrace the left of its party of course there are democratic socialists who have been elected as democrats um aoc um Ilhan omar um for example um but um there's clearly much further to go and Bernie Sanders didn't get the nomination. He didn't get the nomination in 2016. Um, And do you, there's, there's been some sort of talk um, sort of theorizing among some people that that Bernie Sanders is, is perhaps a a contemporary left equivalent to Barry Goldwater from the 1960s. And that maybe the democratic electorate, the American electorate didn't want Bernie now but there is um public support for some of his ideas medicare for all as you said um gun abolition gun control um does have public support um but maybe that those ideas will manifest into another candidate in the future who will um be ultimately more electorally successful do you think that's possible or do you think that's sort of barking up the wrong tree with historical analogy
1: yeah that's definitely possible i mean uh it's it's not a terrible analogy either um I like to think of uh, sort of for the right in America, like Reagan, sort of as an inflection point, like Reagan was uh, like finally elected and didn't do everything the like right wanted. But I mean, as far as Republicans are, are concerned, like before Reagan, like Reagan was a nut, like he was insane. Now, when you look back on Reagan, you're like, wow, he's a Democrat nowadays. And so. Uh, it's definitely possible we sort of have sort of like an analogy like that. Bernie loses, we end up with a, a Reagan next of the left. Um, that's a very possible chance. And I mean, it could be uh, it's hopefully something similar goes on in the UK after uh, the recent Labour Party defeat. But uh, really, for me, what's more important is sort of looking at the conditions within society. And uh, I think really what we get as far as like political leadership is more based off of the environment that the leadership is created in. So Bernie Sanders came onto the scene and tried his hardest to um, sort of create a left-wing movement in a country that's labor unions are downtrodden and that's uh, been brainwashed for the last 40 years to think that anybody in America can make it when we have some of the most rigid class systems in the entire world. And uh, he tried to change that basically by himself. I mean, in 2016, uh, like no one was talking about socialism. It was insane that he even came in and tried to do it. And it's amazing that he did as well as he did. I think it's because there was sentiment underlying things from like Occupy uh, 99% versus 1% were like sort of sort of like had been seeded in our society at that point. But um, when you look back at like President Obama, like uh, or Bill Clinton and anybody basically posts like the Thatcher Reagan years, like they've been sort of a product product of their environment. Like politics had gotten to the point where unions had been smashed, like capital was in control. Uh, uh, police and prisons were all anybody could talk about. And and when that's the case like even if obama president obama had wanted to be a radical he like what was he going to do he had democrats elected on uh on using on using police force and getting more prisons he had democrats elected on being being right wing and not wanting to move away from a sort of ridiculous economic system and so even if obama had wanted to be more radical there was nothing he could do but as society continues on Bernie Sanders sort of changes the notion um, of what's possible. The next politician might come in who, yes, is more palatable to the American people. Um, Bernie Sanders is an amazing politician, is an amazing politician. Um, But I mean, let's face it, he's not Barack Obama as far as how inspiring he is. Someone else may come along who is incredibly inspiring and has all of Bernie Sanders ideas, hopefully even more so, and can get elected, but getting one person elected is not what we need here. It's what we need is sort of like a a really a class consciousness among Americans who realize like, hey, we're in trouble. We need to organize ourselves and uh, take down uh, basically the systems of inequality that we have now. And that was what really was so amazing about Bernie Sanders movement and inspired leftists uh, who aren't actually really interested in electoral politics. Um, I have a, waxing and waning interest in electoral politics. And uh, oftentimes I just can't be bothered with it at all. And I spent my time union organizing uh, or focusing on labor organizing. And, but really what's inspiring about Bernie Sanders is that his core message was not me, us. It was, we need to create a movement of working class people. Nothing is going to change if just he does it. We need to bring people in and create a movement of people who say enough is enough. And so the movement politics are really what got people who aren't necessarily always interested in electoral politics involved. And it was a message that is going to go forward is that like we're going to get out of society what we let people give us. And I mean, I know that's not uh, that may not be the best analogy because like we're obviously not letting the government treat us this way. But uh, it's time for like people to rise up. and I think really that's what it's going to take to change things legislatively. Um, and it seems like we might be in the process of doing that now. I mean, we've never really gotten anything at least in American society without, without causing a ruckus. Like the civil rights movement was a, was a ruckus and it wasn't popular. Uh, but it got what we needed. And, um, that's sort of probably the analogy I would use right now. We're going to have to do, we're going to have to just keep rising up. Really. I don't know that it's all about getting a politician.
0: Yeah, um, and you mentioned unions there, um, and we actually, I actually had a question about that. Should workers' unions be supporting the protests um, going on right now, and if so, uh, to what degree?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, they should be supporting the protests, and uh, sort of an interesting narrative that's come up recently with the unions is um, is that... The AFL-CIO is sort of like the big like conglomerate of unions. I am completely like consider like a part of myself, like uh, I'm uh, like building rep for my union uh, at the school that I work at. Uh, I'm a member of the Central Labor Council in West Central Florida. Uh, I'm a delegate to the Central Labor Council from my union and uh, like the labor is really important to me. So, uh, Something that happened this past week was the AFL-CIO headquarters was uh, burned in Washington D.C. And uh, as like a leftist, like I just look at it and I, I can't help but say, like, like we deserve this, and it's it's really because uh, part of the problem that we're going through right now with the police is is the police unions, and the police unions are really sort of abhorrent institutions that uh protect police officers during basically the worst of the behavior you can imagine and in minneapolis one of the uh things they're dealing with there is the union president who is elected by the members of the police union is is just a a really bad person like he he's uh, come out and said some really abhorrent things recently and uh, and sort of goes to show you like an institution like the police, like it's not just bad apples. Like they elected that man to say those horrible things. And so uh, as far as the labor movement is concerned, you're starting to see in a labor movement. Now, I'm not sure how widespread it is, but you're starting to see people who are involved in the labor movement say things like we, we cannot have the police union Involved with us anymore, um, we cannot like we cannot help support them. They're they're not workers in a traditional sense. They're upholders of state-sanctioned violence. They're not they're not people who uh, just work for a living and like sell their labor. Like they're they're a, they're a key part of a system that is oppressing working class people, specifically Black people and, and immigrants and people of color. And so uh, that's sort of what I've seen with the labor movement and and what I hope uh, can be the labor movement's role. The Minnesota AFL-CIO, the state branch of it, uh, did come out and say that they condemned uh, the police union in Minneapolis and that the they've never been they've never allowed police unions to be a part of their AFL-CIO and uh, sort of gave direction like that's what they think really it should be the case nationwide. Um, so really, uh, that's what I'd like to see the labor movement do is to put pressure on the police unions to um, it's early so I'm not sh- it's like still early in this conversation. So I'm not sure like what uh, it the exact response needs to be, but uh, it would really hope if we really pushed back against the sort of things that police have been doing it uh with ultimate goals of saying they're not workers they don't need unions in the same way other workers do um, because of the things that police unions have done it really defended some some uh police in bad situations it's very common for a police uh, for a police officer to do something uh kill someone uh harass someone abuse someone uh Beat someone, and then for the police to be right there demanding that they have their job back and giving them a vacation, basically whenever they're under investigation, like leave without pay. So uh, that's what I think the labor movement should be pushing back against. And mm,
0: mm. Um, and I just had a couple more questions before we before we wrap up. So it's sort of to to pivot back to electoral politics. Um, I guess maybe the big question hanging over everything is is Trump. Um, and what trump does what's going to happen to trump um in november so do you think that donald trump will be reelected in november or is he heading for defeat
1: i'm not sure i can uh, <laughs> make that uh prediction right now <laughs> like i would say that he probably will lose but uh i i can't say for sure uh, i think he's more likely to lose now than he was in 2016 i can say in 2016 uh, just before I knew we were in trouble. Uh, I knew Hillary Clinton didn't inspire anyone. Joe Biden's similar, but it does seem like we're in a much different circumstance. Look, the economy in America is in a terrible position and they can say whatever they want about the stock market, but employment is incredibly high or unemployment is incredibly high and there's unrest in the streets. Like it's just doesn't bode well for the party in power is all I can say. So do I think he'll get elected? I no, I don't, but would I? put it past the democrats to somehow mess it up no i wouldn't it past
0: them. yeah i've got to agree with you um i too thought um had the had the same view pre pre-election in 2016 that trump was going to win um and i guess sort of the nightmare scenario is that he loses the popular vote again but wins in the electoral college even more improbably perhaps i guess that's the important thing to always remember is that he was he is and always has been a minority president. A majority of Americans never supported him. Um, and we'll keep our fingers crossed. But yeah, um, and just as a as a, as a final question, so back, back to the UK perspective. As I said at the beginning, um, social media and the media has just been overflowing with discussion on this. And so many people who I know who would never have shared anything about anti-racism, about politics, full stop, have been sharing. Um, have been sharing that content and openly discussing it um and there's been a lot of particularly around young people um there's it, been a lot of discussions on how to show solidarity and what that entails there's been so much on social media and i think inherently a lot of that ends up being sort of performative um you know we had the blackout tuesday black squares thing um the other day what 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 can we in the uk do to 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 help uh in america is there anything we can do to help um and what can we do to sort of show solidarity do you think
1: Uh, as far as what the uk can do to help like i am a cynic but i'll say i do appreciate the uh the black screen thing to an extent it's nice to see people who were previously apolitical or just sort of uh moderate liberals like show support in a way that they explicitly hadn't before um, but I'd like to see the conversation move towards other things like uh, my thing's always been, if you care about black lives, you should care about black jobs, you should care about black health care. And uh, it's not just like for black people, especially in America, it's for everyone. Like you should make sure that everyone has a good job, that everyone has good health care, that anybody who wants to go to college and university can. Um, so you should care about issues that bring us more towards that kind of society. and so. I don't want to hear Black Lives Matter really, and then see you be like, "Well, I don't want universal healthcare because I like my healthcare plan." That's not good. But as specifically, people in the UK, I think something powerful uh, for them to do would be uh, not to focus so much on America's racism, uh, but to focus on their own country's sort of racist past and racist present. Um, the UK is not innocent in this. Uh, I mean, the the things that the UK have done in the past have been just as bad, if not worse, than things America's done, and the things that the UK is doing in the present are uh, pretty, pretty, pretty just heinous as well. I guess heinous is really all I can say. Um, they uh, just recently had the Windrush scandal, which is an absolute appalling thing that to happen in sort of a modern society and uh it doesn't stop there some of the things that your politicians say are just so unacceptable and um, i can say as someone who's lived as an adult in the uk and the us that the uh uk is that the uk is is not innocent like some of the most Appalling racism I've experienced as a black person have been have been in the UK. Um, I've been called racist names straight to my face, like as bad as the N word, um, like a, literally the N word in the UK. Um, I've seen uh, just like appalling things in. Shops like I uh, had a real problem one time when I went into a shop and I saw they just had like uh, minstrels everywhere like dolls in blackface and I was really upset by that um so I would I would just say like if you really care about the racism you're seeing on tv in America like you should look a little closer to home and know that you're absolutely guilty of it as well um and I'm sure that all of your listeners are aware um uh, but I'd like to say like uh the UK exerts a lot of influence on the world. And I think it'd be, uh, it'd be a powerful message to the world if the UK really addressed it as well in their own society, the way we're trying to address it here.
0: Richie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, it's been really insightful to hear about, um, your perspective on things in America and how it's looking up over there. So yeah, thank you so much for
1: coming yeah. on. Thank you for having me. I really, uh, enjoyed the conversation and, uh, We'll definitely be uh, checking in with you guys in the future. Listening.
0: And another episode of the social Review podcast draws to a close. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to Richie for coming on. Um, since we recorded the interview, a couple of quite significant things have happened. Um, We spoke about police abolition, about defunding the police, which has now become a topic of international conversation amongst the left. We're going to be featuring a piece on it on the website soon and no doubt discussing it in more detail on the website and the podcast in the foreseeable future. Um, Overnight, uh, the Minneapolis Police Department, the police department that resulted in the murder of George Floyd, announced that it is is abolishing its police department. It's going to be investing in community-led policing instead, It's a pretty extraordinary move. It's a pretty radical move. It's not quite clear what's going to happen with that yet, but unquestionably we will be following it very closely to see what happens. The statue of Edward Colston was torn down by the people of Bristol and dumped in the harbour, the waters where his slave ships used to dock. We spoke at the end there about the necessity of Britain to reckon with and recognise its own imperial history, its own racist history, its own history of enslavement. I think it's pretty fair to say that more people have done that in the past 24 hours, fewer than that actually, since the statue was torn down than they did in the 125 years in which it was up. Again, it's not quite clear how that conversation, that debate, shouldn't be a debate, but seems like it's turning into one, will be panning out. But again, we will definitely be talking about that on this podcast and on the social review website. So listen in and look out for that. One final thing you will have noticed, hopefully you will have noticed that the podcast sounds different and it has a new theme tune, which is so incredibly exciting. Uh, A new theme tune for a new year of the podcast as it were. Uh, It was composed by Katrina Toner. Katrina is a young composer and she is the recipient of a scholarship uh, in conjunction with King's College Cambridge and the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra. Uh, It's a really prestigious scholarship. It's really cool. It's a really fantastic new theme, much better than the last one. Um, Hopefully you'll all agree on that. Um, I will play it out in its entirety at the end. Thanks again for listening. Do give us a positive rating on the podcast app of your choice. Uh, Tell your friends, all that kind of thing, and listen out for more episodes. Thanks again. Goodbye.